netcasting from Chicago, Los Angeles, and Sydney. You're listening to this week's FX Podcast from FXGuide.com. Thanks for joining us for this FX Podcast. We have several podcasts on the site. This is the one where we take our passion for visual effects and bring you in-depth interviews with visual effects artists around the world. The FX Podcast was started to give us a place to dig deep on the technical side, talk one-on-one with top visual effects artists, advance the craft of visual effects, and pay respect to hardworking, creative people producing amazing work. I hope you had a chance to check out some of our coverage from NAB 2012. We produced a six-and-a-half-hour live show from the Foundry booth, and we just had a blast doing it. It was quite the production. We built a control room in a closet in the back of the booth. We had switcher, audio, capability for rolling in pre-recorded segments from around the show floor. It was an extravaganza with three cameras, live show. We covered a lot of really cool tech from the show. We also got the eavesdrop on selected demos from the Foundry booth, which was also very cool. So that was all done live, but we've now broken down those segments into individual videos for easier viewing. So you can choose, I want to watch this demo, for example. And that's all over at fxguide.com slash NABLive. We also did a lengthy podcast in the car on the way home, talking about all the big news as we left the show. And over on FXPHD, our visual effects training site, we're just starting a new term with a slew of new courses announced. And while you're over there, check out on the homepage, we have a production blog. We had an opportunity recently to to break out some color measurement tools and check the accuracy of the new iPad and wrote a little report that I think you'll find interesting. All right. Well, if you've been following the site over on FX Guide TV, our video podcast, we recently, uh, John Montgomery sat down with... Philippe Soiro and uh, talked about the kind of the history of flame and how flames evolved and where flames going and so after NAB we wanted to follow up on this with a little bit more information now that smoke on the Mac has been announced at this new price point so John chatted with Mark Petit senior vice president of Autodesk to talk about that as well as a whole wide range of products Mark's manages the entertainment and media business for Autodesk and guides the development and marketing of flame flare smoke luster 3d Max. Uh, Maya, Soft Homage, Motion Builder, Mudbox, and FBX. So if you saw John's interview with Philippe, this kind of dovetails into that, but takes it post-NAB and talks about some of the uh, changes that have been going on at Autodesk about this, uh, the, way, the, way, the way smoke has evolved. Um, I think anybody using any Autodesk product will be very interested in this. So let's cross now to John Montgomery with Mark Petit from Autodesk. Well, congratulations on a great uh, NAB announcement. I think uh, all of us here in the FX Guide crew are really excited with uh, Smoke on Mac, Mark. Well, thank you. We were uh, equally uh, excited to hear the response from uh, from users to our proposal. So it's uh, it's been a good week for us. Um, so, um, as you know, I'm also a, a flame and smoke owner myself, and there are mm-hmm. certain issues, obviously, that have been brought up by the uh, announcement of Smoke on Mac, and we'll be getting to that in a bit. But first, I want to start with maybe a bit of historical perspective and start mm-hmm. with the original uh, Smoke on Mac versus the new Smoke. Um, did, did that launch meet the expectations of Autodesk? Um, so we started... Um in December, I think that's um, a bit more a year and a half ago, and uh, the initial response was was good uh, because I think we we hit a sweet spot of people who knew about finishing, and they were very happy to to buy in into the new price points, fifteen thousand, and uh, you know, it's the price was a little bit shocking for certain people, but I think you guys, even yourself, John, I think you demonstrated in the blog post that if you are in the professional finishing business, you know, you can make money with mm-hmm. this product. So we went through those customers, but you know, uh, last year after an AB, we, we looked we looked back at the market and we say, 
you know, we like to go further. We like to make this VFX technology available to a lot more people. And we had to solve a number of problems. Price was one problem, and accessibility of the VFX tool set was the other problem. So that's why we've done what you've seen. You know, we've done what you've seen, which is adopt a standard editorial timeline and kind of get rid of a lot of the media management uh, legacy of smoke that was getting in the way of the users. Yeah, and I think I think also though there was a certain technical aspect that was a bit intimidating as well. I know through our experiences on FXPHD, where we had a lot of people using it over the VPN, things running into things like THCP, where someone's IP address would change and they'd lose access yeah. to the frame store, which is something, frankly, you wouldn't get in a facility, right? I mean, in general, you're going to be fixed. Um, There's a lot of learning from that standpoint as well, wasn't there? Yeah, and also the uh, also the legacy of a very high hardware requirement was a problem. I mean. Mm-hmm. You know, even even high professionals want to be using uh, their tool on a laptop. So we also had to rework the technology, you know, so that we didn't have those dependency on on advanced uh, graphics hardware and those kind of things. So it was a lot of work uh, that we had to do over the past year, you know, to make it, uh, um, you know, available and um, uh, you know to. A larger number of users, and I think also the, so. What was really striking about this demonstration that we saw was the UI, and I, and I don't just mean a UI refresh as far as the look of the buttons or mm-hmm. anything like that, but it, the the workflow seemed quite different. Because the other thing we learned through PhD is that for Mike, Jeff, and I who were used to Flame over the years, we could dive right in. But people who hadn't experienced it for a while were frankly a bit lost when they fired yeah. up Smoke mm-hmm. on Mac. What did you do to kind of look into this aspect of things? Yeah, no, that, that was the feedback. I mean, the learning curve was way too high. Uh, and so we, we, we went, you know, uh, Philippe, and uh, we assembled a team around Philippe, and we went back to the basics, and we did a lot of usability testing. And it was, now in hindsight, we can say it was funny because, we, you know, we, we went around and set editors in front of a, a smoke and say, okay, now, get you know get some media in and uh, n- nobody could do it and so we've learned uh, you know a lot of the problems we learned we understood why and it got us to the redesign so yeah there were clearly a lot of uh, the training requirements were much too high can, can do you can I ask if the well, I will ask um, is under the hood a lot of that functionality the same and is it kind of a wrapper on top of it that is the way it's presented to the user to get rid of things like the gateway library I mean for my sake I don't give a damn about the gateway library and all the different things I just want to load in footage um, and it looks that way now mm-hmm. but did you have to rework stuff under the hood as well or it was a fair amount of engineering but the the idea of smoke 2013 is that we haven't taken away any of the capabilities of smoke. We have just changed the form factor and we have just changed the level of accessibility, but smoke 2013 should be able to do pretty much anything that smoke 2012 was doing. But the way it does it is a lot more uh, accessible for an editor who has been trained on, a, on, you know, on standard editing products. Right. So it looks much more like something like a final cut or premiere yeah. for instance, and just happens to have a, procedural graph as well as a 3d compositing apartment built in yeah yeah and the value of it i mean is that you can have your your compositing tree embedded into the timeline and that's the big novelty you know what we call connect effects and i think that's very powerful you know not having to do what people call the app dance having to move from one app to the next depending on the job you have to do so um that that was from an engineering perspective you know 
that was tricky. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think uh, it was, um, again, the proof will be in the pudding in June when people get to play with it. But uh, it was a fair amount of design and some, uh, you know, some good effort from our engineering team. So. A lot of questions have been asked. Is Connect Effects batch effects or similar? I mean, it looks like it. Yeah, I think it's been, yeah, conceptually it's very similar. Uh, it, it has been implemented in a way uh, that is, you know, that is understandable for an editor. Right. And is there anything similar to what you can do on the desktop? Are there any kind of desktop tools um, similar to the current product, or is that all different now as well, and it's just fully timeline integrated at this point? It's fully timeline integrated. Okay. So that's a differentiation between yes. what, what the other products were as well. Now, yeah. with your other products and with the existing products, you would have a subscription basis um, for keeping up to date on mm-hmm. software updates. Is there going to be a similar thing to that? I mean, I guess the broader question is how is it going to be sold and, and stuff? Is it more like the, the Maya Max or is it more like Flame and uh, Flame so, Premium? So both, you know, all of our products have the subscription program. You know, Flame and Maya. Of course, the price point is not the same. I mean, mm-hmm. usually the uh, uh, you know the, the the price of subscription, which will be available for Smoke, uh, just like all of our other products, you know, is a fra- you know is a fraction of the list price. So I don't have a number in mind, but I expect the subscriptions to be um, to be uh, in the same level as as a Max or a Maya license. You know, the business model is similar. We're looking at. Uh, uh, I would say novel business models, uh, but nothing is announced yet. So, in in the history, though, in, in recent years, though, I think one of the keys has been the the subscription model, though, on the systems on Flame and uh, Smoke <laughs> Advance have actually been pretty successful, haven't they? Generally speaking. Oh yeah, yeah. No, I mean, we have seen a tremendous growth in our subscription business, which I think is the reflection of the quality of the releases. You know. We had a little bit of customers that uh, had gone off subscription because they were not too sure about the value, but with the latest release and always the quality of our support team uh, over the past couple of years, you know, after a dip in 2008, we, uh, which was understandable, you know, with the, the economical condition, we've seen uh, the subscription business come back really, really fast and getting very good feedback from the customers on, on the value of their release and, you know, de facto um, we kind of historically have delivered two good releases a year, and I think we plan on continuing to do that. And also, one thing that I've really appreciated as um, a systems owner, unlike other applications that I've used, is the level of support that I get with that product. Um, is that going to be different for Smoke uh, than it is for the current systems products? So, so far, we have extended uh, kind of the the quality of the, of the the credit finishing support to our Smoke 2012 users. The expectation for uh, 2013 is that, um, of course, the support will be available. It'll be the same team, but the, the users, what we think we think currently behave differently. Uh, first, a lot of the hardware-related issues, you know, and the performance issue are not at the same level uh, for this class of customers, and and they want to hear and get their response online. So we are continuing to invest on a lot of uh, online tools, you know, knowledge bases, online content, uh, to make sure that people can very quickly get up to speed on the product and get their most common issue solved uh, using the web. You know, 
picking up the phone is becoming something that people do less and less. Yeah, it seems more critical in some ways for hardware support. And I think I pay around yes. 2500 a year for my Linux box, I believe, and, yeah. and mm-hmm. 5000 or so for software support. I mean, but is the phone technical support going to be an add-on cost similar to the way it is for systems or is a package that they buy? Because... You know, I, th- I don't think people, as many people are used to paying for software support yeah. on software so like the, that. The way our, our, our subscription offering is structured is, um, you know, silver subscription model gets you online support and gold gives you uh, phone support. And what you're referring to as well in the creative finishing space, I mean, as you know, we have hardware replacement and all kind of a hardware-related activities that are covered by the maintenance, which, which are not uh, not applicable to a software-only model. No, that, would, that wouldn't apply to the system you're building out. And as you mentioned earlier, I did a blog post actually pointing out the kind of hardware you'd need to buy to make an equivalent kind of Linux system. And, and it does make that cheaper now, but you still have to have a substantial investment in hardware. Uh, if you're going to mimic the the Linux system, okay. So that's that's the new offering, which is again really exciting. And I'll put on my flame and smoke owner's hat. And first of all, I'm, like I said before, I'm, I'm I am excited about it. I'm really confident uh, that I think this is the way to go. But uh, it had to be a difficult discussion, I would think, at times in Montreal uh, with such a dramatic price reduction, knowing that you also had existing customers out there. Uh, with smoke. Uh, could you give a little insight into that? This has got to yeah. be a bit of apprehension. Yeah, no, no I understand that. So, uh, first of all, I mean, th- th- I think there are two aspects to this conversation. One is the, the users are not the same. I mean, the people who are in the, in the business of uh, advanced finishing, uh, you know, they have expectation of performance, of turnaround time, of support, you know, that, that are not available when you run uh, Smoke 2013 on a, on a laptop. So these are uh, very different environments. And one of the things that we've been trying for the past two years is, you know, get, get our customers, uh, especially on the Linux boxes, to embrace the concept of Flame Premium. And it's a little bit difficult to uh, to talk at this at the moment because Flame Premium started as um, you know is, is is a combination of flame, smoke, and luster. Mm-hmm. But we took a commitment that we would integrate those capabilities into you know another super app, another kind of super application. You know this concept of ultimate finishing, this concept of a box that you can sit behind that allows you you know to 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 in a highly integrated way, provide all the functions that you want to provide for your customers, you know, in the world of finishing, such as, you know, conforming, uh, uh, VFX, grading, and a bunch of those uh, advanced finishing capabilities. So that's that's the vision behind Frame Premium, and we're trying uh, to motivate uh, our customers, especially our small Linux customers, to embrace this concept. Does we're that, doing that. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry? sorry. No, go ahead. I didn't mean to interrupt. Yeah, we're doing this multiple ways. Once is by creating a very a compelling price incentives. We've always run programs that make you know the cross grade to flame premium something that's extremely affordable. And the other thing is by the software itself. So now you catch me at the moment where, uh, as, as you know, we're we don't we're not allowed to disclose what we're about to do. But uh, we, um, of course, uh, a lot of the things we've learned at Smoke 2013 on the Mac, a lot of those lessons and a lot of those workflows and a lot of that, I would say, timeline centricity are lessons that we're learning and reapplying to Flame Premium. 
Yeah, we just did, um, for those of you listening, Mark, I know you saw, but the FX Guy TV episode with Philippe uh, recently. Mm-hmm. And he he talked in glowing terms about this idea of merging the products into one code base. And so I think yeah. we, we've seen dividends with that. And I would hope that would also continue into the future and that you're not making the new Smoke 2013 an island. No, 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 not at all. And I think you'll see, I mean, you'll see those two projects feeding off of each other. You know, you were asking me about the subtle difference between Connect Effect and Batch Effects and this idea of having, you know, Smoke 2013 has this concept of, uh, you know, integrating the timeline for VFX workflows, of course. Uh, this is this is a concept that's entirely applicable for film premium, but, you know, Philippe wants to do it in a way that's really matched the workflow of the, of the high-end customers. So that's why, you know, you'll see a lot of incentive uh, from us to, to, to try to convince our, our smoke uh, customers to embrace this concept of flame premium. Yeah, and, and as a flame owner, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty much okay. I'm, I am okay with the smoke I'm at, but I can see if you're a smoke advanced owner, which I also am. You know, I paid, what, 90000 for mine back in 2008, approximately. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the idea of smoke advance is a tough sell now because really the, the only difference seems to be batch uh the integration of batch and some stuff on the desktop is there special i mean is smoke advanced done as a standalone product is i think you know and we haven't sold many of those uh, recently either you know the concept of uh of just a finishing box mm-hmm. uh, like smoke advance i think uh had aged because we're seeing you know a, a lot of uh, artists they, they want to people who do finishing they want to go much further that's why we created frame premium because you know yes it's fine to start in the timeline but you want to do the fx work uh we've seen a lot of uh, grading systems or a lot of editing system you know slowly eating away what was making uh the the value and the unicity of a, of a product like smoke advanced so that's why you know a couple of years ago we had to start getting down the path of having uh you know migrating some of the basic capabilities or they're more than basic but right, maybe by right. flame standard they're they're kind of basic you know to the mac platform and try to make them more accessible and keep you know this notion of a ultimate finishing timeline centric a lot of real time effects and bring them to the world of flame I mean, do you see world? I mean, you kind of, I kind of see it now on your website, actually, in doing research, where there's just smoke, which runs on Mac, and Flame Premium in the product line. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. that basically where we're headed? Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, uh, that's, you know, that's what we think makes sense uh, uh, for our customers. Uh, I, I know the transitions are always difficult, and, uh, you know, people have to to. to to change sometimes, learn new things, and reinvest. But we're seeing the uh, the response on on our Flame Premium customers is actually tremendous. I mean, people like the versatility of the suite. They like, you know, that they're ready. Uh, especially when you you work in a client supervised environment. I mean, you're ready to take on a lot a lot of jobs. You know, and it's you don't have to move stuff around anymore within your facility. So it brings a lot of flexibility. Yeah, I think that's something that's really hard to convey to someone who hasn't experienced that before. And But I think what's interesting about s- the new Smoke 
I'll keep calling it smoke on Mac, but <laughs> the smoke, it's like the new iPad. Um, the, is this idea of finally on the desktop, you do have this integrated environment where you're not leaving application. And, and I like that because it's, I think it's going to open up to a whole new entirely and younger range of artists, which effectively makes flame even stronger in the end. Personally, I'm, I'm sure oh. you guys share that goal, right? That oh, d- definitely. And uh, as you said, I mean, the new generation, I mean, you know, they don't even know what finishing is. Mm-hmm. You know, they know editing and they want to do effects and they want to do everything at the same time. They want to be able to jump, you know, work on the edits, work on the color, work on the effects, go back. And that's the, you know, that's the, the workflow that we're enabling, as you said, only one application. And that's going to be the big game changer. Okay, so we talked about the current flame or current smoke advanced users. Mm-hmm. Bottom line is they probably need to talk to their salesperson uh, about this. Um, what about the smoke on Mac owner who paid for that? You know, a couple months ago, what's being what's being done for them? Because maybe even to their standpoint, they're in a in a tighter spot, I think, than the systems buyers. Yeah, and so as usual, we have programs in place uh, for people who did recent purchases. Um, so that they'll be offered, uh, you know, I don't have the details with me, and uh, but I encourage them to, to, you know, if you purchase a smoke, uh, twenty twelve to fifteen thousand dollar, you know, in the recent month, I think you should talk to your Autodesk representative, and there is uh, there is something waiting for you there. Uh, we we fully understand. We we've done price drop before, and we know that, uh, you know, you got to be ready to. Um, you know, to compensate the customers, kind of grandfather some of the customers they got in recently. We, you know, we don't want to leave anybody behind or uh, having a, a, ba- a bad taste in their mouth. Right. Okay. So, well, that's that's the kind of the impact on the current. But I, I think I'd love to talk to you a bit about the future and in mm-hmm. general terms, um, so that we don't get in any uh, sure. stock. <laughs> issues or whatever actually can you can you explain uh, just briefly what the you know this is brought up quite a bit and we've talked about why certain things can't be talked about but okay. why why is there the secrecy that kind of came out with this and the difficulty okay. in talking about the future it's i mean this is the consequences of the enron uh, thing where uh com- public companies it's not true of uh european companies or private companies but public companies who are you know trading on the stock market um like autodesk cannot uh, talk about their future product because it's assumed that people would make purchasing decision in anticipation of getting those capabilities. So I cannot tell you smoke will be, you know, that version of smoke will do that because then uh, people, you know, people will say, well, the only reason people purchase your price because you committed to that. Mm -hmm. And therefore, if you do this, if you talk about the future, the law asks you to defer the revenue, said, okay, you're going to book that revenue only when you've delivered the stuff that you promised or you talked about publicly. Okay, so that that's, the reason, that's the reason why this revenue deferral is very complex and it's auditors and everything. But, you know, uh, every time we have a leak about a, a new feature, I mean, for us, it's, it has a big implication. So that's why we had, we have a big paranoia about this. That's, I'll come to the world of <laughs> right. Okay, so you can talk to about smoke, the new smoke, because it's new, but you couldn't say anything. So, I'll, for example, I'll tell you that because we we announced smoke 2013, mm-hmm. uh, it's detailed, but you know publicly, all the all the sales of smoke we cannot recognize them until we've delivered those capabilities. Okay. 
so we've made this decision because we want we want sometimes you know we, we can make an decision but it has an accounting consequences so we will only see the smoke revenue back on our books when we ship the release okay and i will say for mine watch the fx guy tv with philippe we talked about stuff and uh, we can get an idea of the future in, but let's talk in more broad terms, I think, mm-hmm. about where the industry is going since I've got you for this. And, I mean, I think one of the interesting things about Autodesk, obviously, is the domination that you have in the 3D market um, with all the major apps. Um, let's turn it around. What, what can the 3D apps learn from Flame, do you think? Well, first, I don't like the word domination because <laughs> uh, the world of 3D applications is there are a number of applications, and there are a lot of in- internal uh, software that a lot of people are using. So, uh, you know, I I still believe that we sh- we should be able to double our revenue in 3D, and uh, so it kind of give you a sense of uh, you know how far we are from being everywhere when there is 3D. Which would the word domination would imply? So, so we have a lot of <laughs> okay, uh, we have a lot, lot of headroom, and we're we're actually uh, very excited by that. But I would say that our three D products have everything to learn from Flame, uh, because Flame delivers the um, the image first. is It's a very very deep tool set, and it delivers the immediacy. You know, the, the immediate feedback on the creative decision, and that is something that uh, we have not achieved yet in three D. We're getting there. We're getting somewhere with Motion Builder for virtual production workflows, you know, so that you can you can start to have give, for example, a director or a DP on stage a fair view of what the image may look like. But I think uh, we have a lot of uh, a lot of ways to go in embracing technology, embracing elastic and cloud computing. You know, bring a lot of horsepower to the 3D system so that. You can, you know, for example, in the lighting session, you can reach the level of interactivity that you would expect from the flame. Yeah, that's very different from hitting the preview button in a, oh, yes. in, in, in a, in a software app. Um, but, uh, and, but there were some changes made in a couple of years ago, though, that hopefully helped this cross-pollination there. Yep. Um, and what happened, uh, can you just give us a refresh on what happened to kind of um, increase that talk between the various applications? Yeah, so, you know... If you go back to 2008, which was a pretty stressful moment for everybody, so we decided um, to do two things. One is decided to create suites, to create Flame Premium and the Entertainment Creation Suite, connect our application, and we decided all because we thought that workflow was, you know, workflow requirement were trumping new features and shiny technology gadgets. So, so we restructured our team to centralize product develop to centralize product design to make sure that the designers were to talk and were able to design workflows and not individual features. And that's why you've seen a lot more uh, connection, for example, between Flame and Maya, you know, using FBX and Alembic, and making sure that there is a lot more 3D that can, uh, that can fly both ways between the packages. Because, you know, we think of it as, as workflows and of course, the, the guardian of the of the the composing workflow for us is Philippe, and you know I think in the podcast that you shot with him, there was a lot of uh, a lot of details about that. But I think you can expect a lot more in in that domain. I think um, kind of a problem area I see in the hitch in the workflow is I mean I, post post and everything it's it's all about storytelling, and mm-hmm. you have an edit timeline in Flame, you have finishing in Flame, but 
Is there room to move that storytelling and editing timeline style aspect earlier in the process? I mean, you, you could start it from the beginning with Motion Builder, right? Even before mm-hmm. production begins. I mean, mm-hmm. um, what about that? How's that? Well, so that's our that's our objective. I mean, it's uh, you know every every decision should and can only be really evaluated in the context of the story. You know, whether you're trying to evaluate a 3D shot, a piece of animation, or some compositing or some lighting. So it's our ultimate objective to make sure that all of our products can show you, you know, our products, they are editors. They edit, you know, a three, Maya will edit certain aspects of the, of the scene and Flame will edit certain aspects. But what's important is to try to move these, those, those, these edits back in the context of the story, some sort of a uber timeline structure that uh, we're we're angling towards. So a lot of the underlying um, work that we're doing aims at having that a shared data model. Uh, it becomes very technical, but you know, with uh, a lot of the work we're doing is to kind of externalize the data from the application so that the data uh, can be you know can over time become that that story-centric model. And, you know, it took a lot of time for us to figure out the relationship between shot and 3D scenes, for example. Right. It's very complex. I mean, it's, uh, you know, and we've learned that uh, the hard way on, on virtual production stages where, you know, movie makers, they cheat all the time in a certain shot, you know, from one shot to the next, the, the 3D scene can change or not. And how you manage having the the equivalent of a set and props, and the fact that things are positioned differently in different shots while remaining in the same scene. So we've, you know, this notion of assembling a scene on the fly from assets. Uh, we've, uh, you know, we've learned a lot in the past few years about how to do this, and this is something that is start to surface in our products. I think, you know, of course, the first products to benefit from this new architecture will be Maya, but uh, the same will happen uh, will Flame. What's interesting when you also separate the data model from the editors is that you, you, the, the data can, you can envision a world when the data gets centralized and I'll use a catchy f- phrase, but lives in the cloud. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm, I'm not talking about the Amazon cloud. I'm talking about the centralized pool of computing resources. But you could start, you know, marching down the line and having the data live in the cloud or live in a private production cloud and and you know and your editors will just download the data they need and edit them and put them back into that cloud which basically holds something that's the story and Tom, i know it's in broad term doesn't make much sense <laughs> <laughs> no, i'm trying to give you this idea that yeah. yes i mean everything will be story centric and every editor will work in the context of the story and will know that that piece of data that scene you know, that teacup we're, we're using is part of that shot and is being used at those places in the movie and, and you know, have a better holistic approach to, uh, to, to, to the production process. But that's, I mean, <laughs> that's got to be a difficult process to get the 3D folks up to speed on that because up to now it's really been a shot-based or scene-based workflow. I mean, that's an entirely new concept in that world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no. This, uh, having uh, having my understand shots is something that uh, you know, and having the, the our teams. But again, what's interesting is, as you mentioned, we, we we make a lot of conscious effort to be to be present and to and to work with our customers in pre-production, you know, in previs and in and on the stage because we think that uh, you know 
we need to understand the entirety of the pipeline because our technology gets reused in all of those. You know, mm-hmm. our technology is used in previews, our technology is used on the stage, our technology is used in post. But you know, it's our. I think it's our job and and uh, to to make sure that we understand the requirement and we link those things. Yeah, which you can't so, do now. That's the problem. It's like they're very separate islands yeah. at this point. Yeah, but I think we're we're, make, we're making some good process with Maya and Motion Builder. Yeah, very very much so. Yeah, and then uh, you know we we need like the topics of lighting, relighting, and compositing, you know, and rendering. They all will look at this as one problem now. Well, when we think, and and you know, and I I think the the cloud technologies, you know, and you remember I was the one trying to put Mentor in flame. <laughs> yes. Well, I, I <laughs> with, with the success that you know, but but, but, I think but you were. I, I just want to say I think that was in the right place but it was that end solution right is the idea of getting better quality rendering in flame yeah. which we have now that was the right idea the mentor a was but i think we that. can do better if you can you know if, if you can you know right now flame is powered by a souped up graphics card and, and a couple of cores but you know if automatically you could put you know 200 cores or 200 gpus because you can tap into you know the cloud that could bring the flame rendering to the next level and I definitely think see this happening. By the way, yeah. Well, you mentioned uh, lighting in 3D, and, mm-hmm. and I think that has a real interesting aspect to actually apply to the finishing process. Now, there was an NAB years ago, and I forget you may know which one it was, but Martana Lee showed a really cool demo of 3D relighting in, mm-hmm. in a scene. Um, I think that would be a really great thing to see in an app like frame premium this idea of being able to not just grade which is given in luster but actually utilize 3d data to grade intelligently Mm -hmm. um is this something i mean uh is this something we'll see i mean is this kind of research that's interesting linking that onset workflow with creative finishing definitely i think um uh, so, so there are two elements. One is, you know, frame as as a tool sitting at the end of the pipeline. I mean, it's you know, if you extend this concept of finishing to to lights, I mean, some of the relighting capabilities that are in the package today actually show show the way. Mm-hmm. You know, we we're able to to extract three D geometries from moving images. Um, you know, we're able to start you know managing very simple 3D concept like occlusions. You remember the lens flare demos and those kind of things. So it's it's a first step, you know, but, you know, with the Alembic support in Flame 2013 and all of those capabilities, you know, you can start to see the direction of uh, Flame as, as a hub where you can do a lot more finishing functions. And, of course, uh, it pertains to compositing but also to lighting. And But we want to do this in good, uh, you know, What's important for us is also to respect the workflows of our customers, and people have certain expectations of what what needs to be done in the 3D package, and what needs to be done in a uh, a compositing package. But we see that that line blurring itself over time, and again, the availability of very powerful uh, centralized rendering resources. You know, mm-hmm. think of it in, again in the cloud. Doesn't again doesn't mean it could be local in your facility. Yeah, not. The centralized pool of resources, I don't right. know what the right term, but that changes everything. Mm-hmm. You know, and when you have a high level of interoperability, when you have the shaders, what's very interesting in rendering now is we're saying, you know, with the 
with, with the computing power that we have, physically plausible shaders are everywhere. And today we're seeing all of our customers use a different shader, but fundamentally the same kind of shaders. It has seven or eight parameters, BRDFs, and it, you know, it, it does a good job of simulating the reality. We, you've seen this in number of renderers. So we're starting to see an element of standardization in, in, in rendering around those, you know, this physically plausible shading concept. That's great because that's something that you could implement in multiple packages and they will simplify the equation of, uh, of sharing materials. Yeah, and, and again, I think also in that final step too in Luster, that idea of, of in your final stage being utilized, that 3D data is also really exciting. Um, yeah. But one of the things too, do you, you know, I think right now, and maybe, I don't know, if you look in the clues and smoke uh, that was just shown at AB, it's a bit different, but um, I think one of the areas between the grading and finishing in Luster needs to be kind of a, they're totally different UIs right now at this point mm-hmm. um, as well. So I think, uh, I mean, how long the process do you see before these things potentially get merged and, and kind of interact and act the same way as a complete package as opposed to being, you know, what they are today, which is a editing timeline or smoke, flame, and luster? Mm-hmm. Um, so this is not going fast enough for me. <laughs> right. Um, I, you know, I, I think, uh, we'll, we'll make some solid steps this year, um, you know, about getting, uh, you know, a much better integrated, um, um, workflow Mm -hmm. within our application. So I think there is, I mean, it's, it's a very high priority item, you know, the, the world of color grading has changed completely. I mean, uh, you know, Resolve is doing a great job of uh, quote-unquote commoditizing the business. Uh, I think we need to come at this this market, and our customers are expecting a new approach, and that's what uh, you know, and to go to go beyond 2D grading. And I think that's what we're we're starting to propose there. Yeah, and certainly the kind of stuff that's being done in GPUs as well, um, mm-hmm. and with that kind of real-time feedback that you're not currently getting in something like Flame from that standpoint for grading. Yeah. It's also really important. Yeah, no, and real I mean I mean Flame is Flame Premium is all about real time. And uh moving forward and uh, I think you it's definitely an area of research and we've we were lucky enough we hired some of the some of the best engineers in the industry lately, uh to help boost that effort inside of a inside of our engineering team. So I have every expectation that uh, you know, this is gonna start to go um much, much faster. Yeah. Well, I, you know, again, I think when we start out talking about the new low-end uh, reduced-price product, Smoke 2013, again, everyone's fear that the high-end is being gone. Uh, that doesn't seem to be the case. No, and, 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 you know, one other thing, you know, Flame right now sits in, uh, in post-production, but I think uh, with more real-time and more connectivity to 3D, my my objective is to bring Flame also at the front end of the pipeline. Flame is that amazing design tool. Mm-hmm. So Flame is that tool that works in the speed of thought. You know, you can do so much with it. But that's why also the, the 3D friendliness of Flame is important because at the beginning of the pipeline, when you're in previous, for example, uh, you know, you have, a lot of, you have a lot more 3D assets than 2D assets. And so we need to get uh, Flame very fluent in 3D assets so that you can... You know, it can make a difference in pre-production, and it's got to be much better at real time so that it it earns 
uh, its place on the stage as well. Well, one other thing we're dealing with a lot in post is this proliferation of high-resolution cameras. We're dealing with 4K, and, and frankly, we'll be dealing with higher images in the end in post, as well as you know multiple channels uh, that come along with stereoscopic. It seems like Flame fits in pretty well in the future with this as well. And you heard Dr. Emble, you know, 4K, 100 frames per second, stereoscopic is where uh, where we're going. So uh, I, I think having, you know, the kind of computing architecture and the, the awesome power that we have uh, in Flame, you know, we're, we want to make sure we're ready for that. Um, what, what's interesting with 4K is, um, you know, we're used to work uncompressed. Now we're going to have to, you know, to, and we are modifying architectures to support all the high-end codecs because 4K and higher resolution will come compressed. So, you know, the debayering and all of those processes needs to be fully integrated, fully accelerated and made real time uh, so that we can uh, we can kind of uh, work in 4K with the comfort that we currently work in 2K. But it's a very, very high priority for us as well. Yeah, and that's something you wouldn't be able to do on a MacBook Pro. For, oh, for, never! Not in <laughs> not not in a few years. For for certain. I mean, and the other thing on the Mac, I'll I'll say it. You know, um, with the convergence of iOS and OS X, uh, it's not obvious to me. You know, the kind of high-end graphics feature we're going to get on that box, and uh, so I think there, there is a bit of an unknown in the industry right now around OpenGL support, and uh, you know, there are amazing things that OpenGL four promises. And we're confident we can leverage it uh, on our Linux boxes. But for the Mac, uh, there is a lot of uh, some level of unknown there. So it's, there is a natural differentiation by the platform, too. Yeah, we're going to continually work with bigger images, faster, and higher, bit, uh, high, higher color depth, I think, as time goes on. It's a natural progression for us in the industry. Yeah, no, it'll, we'll get there very soon. Well, hey, thanks so much uh, again for talking to us. And again, congratulations on the uh, announcement of Smoke 2013. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me, John. It was a pleasure talking with you. Well, thanks to Mark for joining us and John for doing that interview. Are you an FX Insider? FX Insider is our special membership program that gives members access to special, more in-depth, members-only content. Details can be found over at fxguide.com under the FX Insider tab. You've been listening to the FX Podcasts. In addition, we do two other regular audio podcasts. The VFX Show reviews visual effects and current releases, as well as classic films. The RC Podcast covers the ever-changing landscape of digital cinematography. If you enjoyed this podcast, we'd also recommend our weekly high-definition video podcast, FX Guide TV. You can find all of these, along with in-depth articles, news, and more at fxguide.com. We also have a sister site, fxphd.com, that offers high-quality online visual effects training with an outstanding array of courses and professors. The April 2012 term is just getting started, so head over to fxphd.com and see how you can start or enhance your visual effects career. The FX Podcast is produced by FX Guide. FX Guide was founded by Mike Seymour, John Montgomery, and me, Jeff Huser. We'll see you on the next FX Podcast. Please let us know if you have any suggestions for stories or future podcasts. You can reach us by clicking the Contact Us link at the top of the homepage. This podcast is copyright FX Guide, LLC. Broadcast or redistribution is prohibited without the expressed written consent of FX Guide.